So we've come to that time where we are going to read God's word together and we are going to find out what the Lord wants to say to us today. So if you haven't done so already, run and grab your Bibles. And maybe if you don't have a Bible, as we say every week, we would love for you to download one from the App Store. It'll be a really, really good thing to do. Have you ever hoped and longed for something that you already had? Suddenly realizing that the very thing that you've been longing and hoping for, you actually had with you all of the time. In a time where anxiety is rising like never before, The Guardian last month published um, some stats taken by Nuffield Health, where they reported that 80% of British people working from home now feel like lockdown has had a negative impact on their mental health. And a quarter of those, 25% of those said that they were finding it really difficult to cope with the emotional challenges of isolation. We are living in a time where the weight and pressure of and the stress is taking its toll. It's taking its toll on our physical and also on our mental health, where we can so often feel paralyzed by the uncertainty of what the future holds. I know for myself, I've definitely had moments like that. One person described anxiety like this. Living with anxiety is like being followed by a voice. It knows all your insecurities and uses them against you. It gets to the point when it's the loudest voice in the room, the only one you can hear. And when it comes to anxiety, we as Christians can so easily forget what we already have, what we have already received, what we already know to be true, what we have already experienced. And that is Jesus. It's Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit who is at work in us, who goes before us, who surrounds us, who hems us in, who goes behind us. And today, as we carry on in our wee series called The Prison Letters, we're actually coming towards the end of this series. But this passage is set to remind us of the peace that so many of us are longing for is actually readily available to us now. The peace that we so desperately need isn't a thing or um, an object that we can obtain but it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit sent by God to bring peace to even the wildest of storms. His peace serves as a garrison, a fortress for our minds and our hearts. So we're going to read this passage together that is written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing it to the church in Philippi. And um, we are in chapter four today, and we're going to read from verses four to seven. So grab your Bibles. I'm also going to read it out loud, so don't worry. Okay, here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I love those verses. I love that passage. You see, Paul's central focus to his friends while he's writing this letter, it remains the same throughout the whole of this letter. And that is stay close to Jesus. Go deeper with Jesus. He's exhorting them and encouraging them to lean into Jesus. He's reminding this first century church and also us today of what is already readily available to us. Despite what we might see, despite what we might think, despite what we might feel. So firstly, Paul is highlighting and calling them back to a distinctive mark that sets Jesus followers apart from everyone else. And that mark is joy. It's joy. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So reminder number one, joy is readily available to us. Notice these two words that Paul uses. He uses always and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, these two words tell us that this is something that's really important. It's not an option for us if we're a Christian. It shouldn't be passed over or seen as some kind of nice Christian platitude, but instead joy, unmitigated, unrestricted joy is to be the distinctive mark on those who love and follow Jesus. In fact, Paul is not only reminding his friends, he's commanding his friends to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, let's be clear. This kind of joy that he's speaking about, it does not come from our situations and our circumstances. But instead, it's the foundation on, it's a foundation that is based on Jesus and what Jesus has done for us and our relationship with him. And because of this, joy is readily available to us despite our circumstances. In fact, joy abides and endures through every high and low of life because joy is a gift that is given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual gift. It's supernatural. It's the power of the Holy Spirit depositing the gift of joy into his people. And really, it's a demonstration of the kingdom of God breaking into lives. You see, joy is far bigger and deeper and richer than happiness. Happiness comes from the outside and it's fleeting. It's fleeting. We are happy, aren't we, when good things happen to us? But when trials come, pain comes, horrible situations come, happiness disappears. Happiness escapes us. Joy, on the other hand, that comes from within us. Joy is rooted in our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The gift of joy can bubble up within us and it can ooze out of us. You know, on the one hand, Paul, who's writing this letter, he knows only too well what it's like to suffer. He has been beaten with rods. 
He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been pelted with stones. He has been flogged five times. And I could go on. But Paul has also experienced joy. And he describes in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this about himself. He says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. To have joy in our trials is not to deny the pain. It isn't to deny the pain. It is to recognize that the two can exist together. They can coexist. Now, anyone who isn't a Christian will tell you that that isn't possible. That, that is an impossible thing to have. You can't have both at the same time. It's either one or the other. It's either suffering and pain or joy. It's not possible to have both. It's almost too much to humanly comprehend that. To be filled with joy while suffering can only happen when the power of God is at work in our lives. I have a dear friend who has suffered a huge amount of loss over her life. She has lost two of her children and recently she has also lost her husband. Yet to me, she is the epitome of joy. Everywhere she goes, she oozes joy. That can only happen because of Jesus. That joy can only come from Jesus. You know, it is possible to go through absolute hell and not only know joy, but ooze joy. And today I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to remind us that joy is readily available to us. Despite what we feel, despite our circumstances, despite what we are going through, we can experience his joy as we turn our eyes towards Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, as we lean into him and we ask him to come, come and fill me with your joy, your supernatural joy. C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote an autobiography and he entitled it Surprise by Joy. He has certainly not lived a charmed life. He knows what it is like to suffer. And yet when he gave his life to Jesus, he was surprised by the joy that he experienced. And maybe that's what the Lord wants to do today for you. Reminder number two, the Lord is near, verse five. So many people are looking for a spiritual experience that is out with themselves. So many people turn to mediums and tarot cards and Ouija boards and fortune tellers and witchcraft because they are desperate for a supernatural experience. And maybe that's you today who's watching. Maybe you've, you've done some of that. Well, these four words are, what, are not only what you need to know, but also what you need to experience. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. He is so close to you. He is so near to you. And you know what? He holds extreme power. He 
is the God of the supernatural. Forget everything else. That's rubbish. That's nonsense. He is the God of the supernatural. He is the Lord that gives sight to the blind. He is the one that raises dead people back to life. He is the one that turns a a stick into a snake. He is the one that causes a donkey to speak. He is the one that turns water into wine. One word from him and the wind and the waves, they have to obey him. He is the God who walks on water, who on the third day after being crucified and buried, came back to life. He is the God of the supernatural. And if you are looking for a supernatural encounter today, all you have to do is turn to him, to look to him because he is closer than you think. And he deeply loves you. And so in a little while, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you want to know this supernatural power that I am speaking about right now, if you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, which is the best decision you could ever make, then towards the end of my talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. For those of us that do know and love Jesus, again, I think this verse is a wonderful reminder of two things. Firstly, of our eternal future. We know when it says the Lord is near that he's coming again. And we know that our place in heaven is secured and sealed. We know where we're going. We know we are going to be with Jesus. And also... We also know that he's near and he's here now. He is present. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He is a vindicator, a healer. He is the one who draws near to the lonely and the downcast and the brokenhearted. He is the God of justice and the one who holds the power of the universe in his hands. And that power can break in, in any moment, over any circumstance, in every way. We need to remember, we need to hold on to that. We need to look to him for that. And so Paul's encouragement to his friends is to pray. Pray in the midst of your present distress because the Lord is near. He is here. He is so very real, so very present. And all we have to do is call on him now. Reminder number three, trade anxiety for peace. Verses six and seven. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I have a younger brother called Jonathan. And um, 
Jonathan, when he was younger, he was the kind of kid that when he received any money, it would like burn a hole in his pocket. He would be desperate to spend it. Maybe you know someone like that, or maybe you are someone like that. Well, um, I remember particularly that when we would go on our summer holiday, we would tend to go camping somewhere with my parents. On day one of our summer holiday, our parents would give us spending money, and that would be to last for the whole of our holiday. Well, by day two, my brother would have found the most expensive thing in the shop, the campsite shop that he wanted to buy, and he would be insistent that he would want to blow all his money on this one thing. So one year it was a digital watch. Another year it was a massive stunt kite. I remember another year also it was like a, uh, a remote control speedboat. And um, my parents would counsel him and say, you really don't want to do that. You might regret it. And he's like, no, 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 that's it. I, I want to spend all my money on that. Well, come day four, day five, my brother is fed up with the gift that he's purchased. He doesn't want it anymore. And he's saying to my parents, and this happened every single year, I want to take it back to the shop and get something new. And my parents are like, well, that's not possible because you've used it. And he would be like, just, just let me try, just let me try. And my parents every time were like, all right, well, you can try. Thinking that, you know, the store manager would be like, well, no, that's, that's not possible, I'm sorry. But I am not joking when I say every single time my brother did this, they were like, no bother, would we'll choose something else that you would like instead every single time. I remember one time on holiday, my brother did this three times times. He changed from a watch to a stunt kite to some kind of game that he wanted. I mean, it was crazy, crazy, crazy. You see, he traded something he didn't want for something he did want. And that is exactly what Paul is encouraging his friends in Philippi to do as well, because the Lord is near. The Lord is here. And one of the trillions of benefits that means for us is that we can trade our anxiety for God's peace. We can trade that loud condemning voice that tells us that we're not good enough, that speaks into all our insecurities for the Holy Spirit's peace and God's truth over our lives. We can give him all our fears, all our worries, all our concerns. And as we give them to him, he in turn gives us his supernatural peace. This peace that comes and it fills our thoughts and our mind, our hearts and our bodies. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we trade our anxiety for peace? Well, Paul tells us how we do that in verse six. He gives us three words, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. They are the key that unlocks peace for our lives, God's peace for our lives. Mm. So Paul's own life, if you think about it, it, his own life, if you're a Christian, you think about the life of Paul, it was accentuated by thanksgiving. His life was a constant outpouring of thankfulness to God. 
And it is the absolute basic posture of any Jesus follower and also the proper context for petitioning God. Petition with thanksgiving puts both prayer and our lives into the proper theological perspective. Thanksgiving is a recognition that every good thing that we have comes from the Lord. And our only response is to thank him, to thank him for his mercy, to thank him for his love and his kindness and his grace, because we are recipients of that. And as we thank him, we bring our thanksgiving and we pour it out onto him. So as we submit our situations and our challenges and our fears to God in prayer, with thanksgiving, we receive the peace of God. And that peace will come and it will guard our hearts and our minds because we are in Jesus. We are in Jesus Christ. Just like joy, peace is a fruit of the spirit. God is a God of peace. The God who dwells in total shalom and who gives wholeness and well-being and shalom, peace to his people. And this supernatural peace, it comes and it envelops us, surpassing all our understanding because it's supernatural. We can't, we don't understand it. We can't explain it. And it's this peace that comes and it transcends our anxious minds. So as we in turn come before God, prayerfully trusting him in a posture of thanksgiving, bringing our raw and our real and our very honest prayers to God, he in turn pours out his peace that descends upon us. And this peace, verse seven, says this, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So last year we were on sabbatical and uh, we got to go to America where we visited the Getty Center, which is um, an incredible art gallery. And we were admiring one of the paintings by Vincent van Gogh called The Irises. It was beautiful, wasn't it? Absolutely stunning painting. And there was a security guard standing right next to the painting. And Chuck was just having like a, just a chit chat really with this, with this security guy. And he, he was fairly innocuous, you know, and he was just, chatting away. And then Chuck asked him a question and he said, um, oh, how much is this painting worth today? And the guy said, the security man said, oh, I think it's about $120 million. And as he spoke that out, Chuck just took one tiny little step forward to look even more at this painting. And suddenly this security man's demeanor completely changed. And he's like, hold it right there, sir. Like he was like, you need to step back. And we were under absolutely no illusions that in that moment, if he hadn't a step back, the whole force of the Getty Center would be upon Chuck. <laughs> you know, like the sirens going off and this armed guards coming in and some kind of wall of protection over the paintings coming down. I mean, it, he would have been done for ultimately if he hadn't have stepped back. 
And maybe for some of us, when we hear about the peace that God can bring us, we think, oh, that's nice. You know, oh, that's a sweet thing. That's a a good thought to have. But be under no illusion. God's peace is a powerful weapon. It's a powerful weapon that he deploys to prevent um, the enemy from stealing and killing and destroying from our life. So when anxiety threatens, God's weapon of peace is deployed, guarding our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. And all this happens in and through and because of Jesus Christ alone. So in the face of fear and anxiety, we can experience the protection of God's peace, even in the midst of the storms that we face, being fully assured that the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will protect and guard our hearts and our minds and our thoughts because the Lord is near. The Lord is near and by his spirit, he turns our fears and our worries and our circumstances into peace and joy as we come to him with our prayers, with our thanksgiving, placing our trust fully in him. Why don't we pray?